You're listening to episode 117 of the Mind Your Business podcast. Today, I'm interviewing the author of the book, Your Ego Says, to identify what the heck is your ego and how can we break free from it. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm James Wedmore, and I've built a multiple seven-figure internet business that offers the financial freedom to do what I want, when I want. And I'm the first to say that hard work and hustle are not essential ingredients for your success. So how do you build a thriving business from the inside out? Now with over 800,000 downloads, this is the Mind Your Business Podcast. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? James Wedmore here, host of the Mind Your Business Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today for another fantastic episode. In a moment, I have for you a wonderful interview that I did with the author of the book, Your Ego Says, Mr. James McRae. Now, I'm really excited about how this turned out because I mentioned in the interview how I stumbled upon James and this book. But a few weeks back, I was, I, you know, I found him on Instagram. I grabbed the book. I loved the title. Great branding. I had just done an episode recently talking about ego, right? The spiritual definition of ego, what that is. I mean, we hear it in so many different contexts, but I think it is extremely important as you go down this path of personal growth and spiritual growth that you understand what the ego is and also what it isn't. And this distinction that you know people like Eckhart Tolle talk about and and James talks about of the ego versus this higher self is so important to know which is which right and so it was a fantastic read i think James is a wonderful author a uh, great writer and you know the huffington post actually wrote that James McRae is the Eckhart Tolle of the internet generation it really is such a a modern easy to read, enjoyable read, and I highly recommend the book. But what's so great about the podcast, you know, is I get to be a little selfish and attract great people. It's an excuse to meet great people and learn more. And that's just been so exciting. So this was great to just pick James's brain for a little bit and learn more about his perspectives and, you know, this conversation about the ego, which I just think is so, so important. So who is James McRae? So James is a strategist and creative consultant for individuals and organizations around the world, and he spent his entire life developing innovative ways to turn imagination into results. His writings outline practical strategies for discovering your higher purpose, unlocking creative potential, and achieving meaningful success. He is the author on the intersection of mindfulness and literature. His engaging stories provide a no bullshit guide to living with purpose. And he is the author of the brand new book that I love, Shit Your Ego Says. So without further ado, let's play that interview. All right. I am here with none other than the author of Shit Your Ego Says, James McRae. James, how's it going? Hey, what's up, James? Uh, it's going very well. How are you doing today? Good. It's going really well. I'm first and foremost, I'm extremely grateful to have you on to take the time to chat with me. I can't wait to just show you off to our listeners because as I was telling you before the call, I stumbled upon 
your Instagram, and I just I love what you're doing on Instagram. So by the way, what give us a shout out of your your handle for Instagram? Yeah, the handle would be at your ego says. Yeah. So hopefully you're allowed to say words such as that on your wonderful podcast. <laughs> we we might bleep it out, but people <laughs> people will get the gist. But it's not bleeped out on Instagram, and I can't remember like how I found it. You know, sometimes you just never know how you stumble upon things. Serendipity. Um, serendipity, and you just your the quote images. And I mean, like, look, there's no shortage of quote images on Instagram, but the things you were saying just like really hit me. You also, you know, I know you have a marketing background, a creative marketing background. So like you had very unique style and branding as well. You got the whole package and just even the title, your ego says was like really fascinating. So I downloaded the book. Uh, I was in Hawaii a couple weeks ago and I just started devouring it. And I got to say on the record in front of all our listeners, you are an extraordinary writer. So good. Like you blended storytelling with like, you know, this non-fictional teachings and practices of, you know, things like spirituality and what is this thing called the ego, which we're going to get into. But what I noticed was the ability that you had to like every sentence was so dense with information that if you read the book too fast, you might miss something entirely. So well done. Thank you. Yeah. Lots of editing. You really, you know, I've read a million books that I'm sure that your audience has read, you know, books about entrepreneurism, books about, you know, self-actualization, which is a topic I want to get into. And, you know, they're very helpful books. There are a lot of very useful books out there in terms of, you know, being a better professional, living with purpose, applying creativity to your career. And they're very useful, but I always felt them to be a little lacking in the entertainment factor. Mm. And what I wanted to do, because I've been a writer really my whole life, it's been kind of a side hobby for me throughout my career and throughout my whole life. So I wanted to apply all of my writing you know, interest to make a story that was captivating and entertaining and had, you know, a little bit of sex, drugs, and rock and roll basically <laughs> built into it. So you were drawn into the stories and then hopefully I can spoon feed some tips and techniques that are more part of a story as opposed to being too didactic and too rule-based, which frankly I find a lot of quote-unquote self-help books to be. Yeah. Well, even the Huffington Post said, James McRae is the Eckhart Tolle of the internet generation. That's pretty <laughs> well, cool. That's if it's cool. on if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. So I'll take it. <laughs> I mean that's that's amazing. And I uh, our listeners know that I just reread the Power of Now for the third or fourth time, and it's just it's transformative every time I read it. And it was so like it is. It's very serendipitous. It's very synchronistic that just about a month or two later, I I stumble upon your book, which is it's like a fun, refreshing, like every man type book. You know, it's, it is, it's like the a work of like Eckhart Tolle for the modern day entrepreneur or a, like career driven individual. And I'm sure that's something that I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because there's so many like foundational questions I want to ask, but I, I'm sure that that's where a lot of the struggle was for you, right? Like there's this desire and drive to be successful, whether it's on society's terms or your own terms, but then you're, you know, also walking a path that tries to shed yourself of this ego. Do you feel like you've had like an inner 
struggle or resistance with that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, James. And I think that that's a good way of putting it. You know, I my background is probably fairly similar to so many of your listeners in that I was very career driven, you know, from a young age. Uh, you know, at first, you know, I wanted to be an artist when I was a kid. And, you know, I valued creativity, writing, painting, got into meditation rather young, actually. What happened to me is I think what happens to so many people at a certain age, you know, after college, we start out on our career and we tend to get a little bit distracted from creativity and living with purpose. And we get kind of caught up in the rat race of trying to be successful, trying to, you know, climb the corporate ladder. And then at a certain point, we kind of hit you know, a burnout where, you know, maybe we've reached a certain level of success and maybe we haven't found it to be as purposeful as, you know, the life and the career that we would have wanted. And I think that that's why a lot of people are turning to being entrepreneurs these days is because they're looking for a life of meaning and looking for a life of purpose in addition to, you know, just trying to chase the almighty dollar. So for me, you know, what happened was, you know, I, I just moved to New York City after kind of taking a leap of faith and moving to New York to try to pursue something a little bit more purposeful and, you know, quit my job and just kind of jumped in. And really, as soon as I, I landed in New York City, you know, I was I was <laughs> fortunate or unfortunate enough to be hit by Hurricane Sandy as, as soon as pretty much I, I arrived and really turned my life into a tailspin. And, you know, that's where the book came from. And I started to, you know, I kind of lost everything for a moment. And I that's when I started to really wake up, so to speak, in terms of, you know, what I was pursuing in my life, you know, just kind of being distracted by the rat race. So really what I wanted to do was, you know, share what I learned, share some of my, you know, what I was waking up to in a way that I thought people would relate to. So kind of balancing, you know, the normal professional world with, for lack of a better term, you know, spiritual awakening Mm -hmm. and how we can actually, you know, incorporate things like spirituality in a way that's not really, you know, ritualistic but more practical and can be utilized as a tool to achieve, you know, self-actualization. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Man, I want to go so deep with some of the things that you are saying, because one of the things that you actually mentioned in the book is how as people go down this spiritual route, that the ego kind of puts on what you call a spiritual disguise. And Mm. I'm excited to tackle that. But I think we should start at the beginning. You know, the book, which you guys have to pick up. This is a Hay House book. I'm big fan of Hay House. I got a lot of good friends that are Hay House authors. I know Reed Tracy personally. I love Hay House. And this is just another fantastic book. Your ego says. So, well, the ego saying something. So <laughs> we're going to find out what it's saying. But let's first start at the beginning. What the heck is ego? Because I know if we do a Google search for it, you're going to actually find a lot of different definitions. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one thing, you know, to be clear, the, you know, the ego has, you know, a thousand definitions, whether they're a scientific definition, a psychological definition, a spiritual definition. 
So to anyone out there who has, you know, psychological training and, so, and, and wants to say, well, the ego doesn't technically say anything. Well, that's probably true. You know, what I've done is I've put a label and definition into the, the type of ego that I'm talking about. Certainly from a, you know, from a scientific perspective, the ego is our sense of identity that really is what enables us to take action into the world. Without an ego, technically, we cannot have a purpose at all because the ego is the sense of self that says I have a purpose. Mm. So technically the ego is, you know, a healthy part of our psychology and it's fine. However, I would make you the argument that, you know, we have become a little bit too ego driven in our society. So I define the ego as your reactive attached mind, which is really kind of the the voice inside of ourselves, just, you know, the, the thinking process that reacts to situations as opposed to, you know, creating and acting from a place of, you know, creativity and purpose. Yeah. So really, I think that, you know, many people have got caught up in this I-based mentality and that can go both ways. You know, people think of the ego as being, I am so great, I have a big ego, but I think it works both ways. I think insecurity and fear are also part of the ego's framework because they are part of this reactiveness as opposed to, you know, initiating life on one's own terms. Okay. That's, that's huge. And I just want to make sure all our listeners got that, that, yeah, a lot of people said, Oh, he's got a big ego. We kind of naturally assume that means he's full of himself. He thinks he's the bee's knees. But what, what you're saying here is that even our fears and anxieties and the self-doubt and the self-criticism is under the ego umbrella. In terms of my definition, yeah. absolutely, because it's still trying to make everything about oneself. Mm -hmm. Because if you're if you're insecure and you're and you're living with fear, you know, as so many people do, and many people have good reasons to kind of you know be predisposed to fear, having had certain experiences in their lives. But you know, that's also kind of a self-centered point of view is, you know, focusing on insecurities, focusing on fear, where the argument that I hope I'm making is that, you know, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about any one person. It's about kind of becoming more or less empty vessels for a kind of higher consciousness to speak through. So if we're, if we're relying on our own, you know, strength, I think we're only going to get so far. We can only achieve so much with the self-will. I really think to break down the status quo and to really leapfrog into a whole new paradigm, I think it requires losing a sense of self and really becoming a vessel to more or less, for lack of a better word, channel creativity through ourselves to provide you know, solutions and ideas that sometimes supersede what the intellect can provide. Wow, I love that. So speaking to the, you know, this is what you're describing is almost like life without the ego being the empty vessel. Is this what you would call self-actualization? Yeah, to a degree it is. I mean, if you think about it in the terms of, you know, creativity, you know, 
people often think, oh, you know, I'm not creative. I'm not an artist. I'm not a writer. I'm, I'm just a marketer or I'm just a, a business person. I'm just in finance. But the truth is that creativity is not regulated to any particular job function mm. or, you know, role. Creativity is something that can be applied to, you know, anything regardless of, you know, your job title or the kind of thinker you are. So, you know, one argument I make in my book is is the importance of self-actualization in terms of achieving not only success, but also happiness. And self-actualization is really living, again, not from a fear-based or ego-based mentality, but actually you know, evolving beyond that to be more inclusive of a, of a broader perspective. So it's ironic that it's actually by letting go of, you know, kind of this self-will and this me-first mentality that we actually can self-actualize and become more of a fuller picture of, you know, who we want to be and who we're meant to be. That's beautiful. I mean, that's just kind of, it is, it seems counterintuitive. It seems... It doesn't seem to make sense. It's not common sense, but I love that. Let's take a step back for a moment. So the ego this is your, this reactive attached mind. In your opinion, why do we have an ego then? Yeah, well, you know, it depends on how you want to look at it. I think, I think one of the, one of the origin stories, so to speak, of the ego is, is the fight or flight mentality. Mm. So if you look at, you know, the evolution, the biological evolution of humans, you know, we once lived in a, you know, in a time and place where danger was really around every corner. So we kind of had to be on our toes and we really needed to be reactive to the world around us in order to survive. And that's the fight or flight. You know, when we're faced with a challenge, we either, our immediate instinct is either to run away and flee or to put up our fists and go to war. And for a lot of our, you know, heritage, we had to live that way. And DNA is hard to change, man. I mean, this was, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And, you know, what what is, you know, could be described as the lizard brain is part of our mind that was developed very long ago. That's still really part of our, you know, psychological makeup. So even though we don't face the same level of threats today as we may have on a daily basis at one time, we're still predisposed to have the same fears and reactionary tendencies as we once did. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, the ego kind of lingers on. And another is just, you know, a function of the society we live in. I think there's a lot of social pressure to conform. So I think that, you know, when we're kids, we have much less ego. And the younger we are, you know, the less ego we have because we're just kind of living in a world where we're open to possibilities. Mm. And at a certain point, you know, I, I talk about, you know, the birth of the ego, you know, where, you know, we start to maybe feel pain for the first time or feel emotional insecurity for the first time or feel threatened. And we tend to retreat back into ourselves. And the more and more we learn to stop trusting the world, because we find things to be afraid of and we kind of stop being brave and we start living, you know, 
kind of in the shadows and kind of poking our head out once in a while, but we're, we're afraid to truly go out there and take a risk and take leaps of faith because we've discovered that the world isn't as trustworthy and safe as we thought. Mm. So now as adults, and again, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, this is super valuable for them, is this rediscovering this idea that it's safe to take risks. And, you know, you might not always succeed 100% of the time in the sense that you think you will. But I have found, and one line in my book that I like quite a bit is, our luck is only as good as our courage. So by taking, you know, a leap of faith and trusting the unknown, I think that's where we actually discover, you know, luck. And that's actually where we discover success that we were, you know, maybe hoping to find is by putting our necks out and taking a risk and remembering that the universe actually does have our backs. You know, when we act with faith, I truly believe that the universe will support us in our journey. I love that. And so would you say that the ego is that part of you or those thoughts or that voice that's talking you out of those things that are just outside your quote unquote comfort zone? Yeah, certainly. It's it's the voice that says you're not good enough. You'll never you'll never make it. Don't try it. It's too dangerous. You know, no one's ever done that before. You're going to look stupid. You know, these are all normal thoughts. You know, there's there's not someone out there who is successful that hasn't had those thoughts that, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't even try. Why bother? Yeah. The, the difference is that some of us recognize that, oh, that's just my ego says, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to actually, you know, I don't have to believe everything I think, you know, the mind is a, is a chaotic place. Mm -hmm. And just because we think something does not make it true. So by compartmentalizing the thoughts of the ego and, and saying, you know what, I hear you, I respect you, but I'm not going to listen to you because, you know, that's not how I see things and choosing to, you know, act in spite of the ego's chatter is what separates those who, you know, make it and those who don't. Well, that's huge right there because it's, you know, I, I can imagine that most of our listeners have frequent those, you know, constant thoughts, you know, it's, it's very common. But what I'm hearing is that even just the simple awareness of the distinction between this is my ego talking which is something you mentioned in the book, which we'll get into your higher self talking. I'd love to hear more about that in a moment that even that is, I don't want to say is enough, but that is a great, it's almost like that's the antidote. Yeah, that's everything. I mean, awareness is everything. So, you know, once you, you know, reach awareness, everything falls into place. So, you know, we can either identify with the thinking mind or we can disassociate from the thinking mind and become the observer mm. of our thoughts, yeah. right? And that subtle distinction is huge because if you identify yourself with your thoughts, you're basically, you know, you're basically like dust in the wind, just, oh, my thoughts are going here, my thoughts are going there, and life is chaotic and, the, and you're kind of you know, you're, you're, every worry that pops into your head, you're going to kind of follow and believe. And it's kind of like waves on the ocean surface. You know, you're, they're just kind of crashing and splashing and going all over the place. But when we can disassociate from that thinking mind and remember that we are not our thoughts, we are the consciousness from which the thoughts arise. In other words, we are the ocean below the surface, which is, you know, 
steady and still and peaceful, we're not the waves on the ocean surface. So by reframing how we identify ourselves, we see the whole world from a different perspective. And we see that all the worries and insecurities don't define us. Gosh, so good. Now, and as I'm hearing you speak, I'm here's my thought that's coming up is that like, and maybe it's because I've been watching Game of Thrones recently, but your ego is like this knight. And it's like its sole job is to protect you, right? Like it's there to either fight or or help you retreat. So if we don't have the same threats that we did a thousand years ago, like lions and tigers and bears, oh my, you know, I guess it needs something in order for it to live. So it's going to find other threats like the world itself or people or the tribe or, you know, protecting you from public ridicule or criticism or opinions. And so that's going to create conflict there. It's going to say stuff there that to try and protect you from that. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think that, you know, there's a certain amount of conflict is inevitable in life. I think that you can't get through life just, you know, happy-go-lucky smooth ride, you know, you're going to, the mind is going to face challenges, which is why I think it's so important to initiate those challenges. Mm. It's so important to get out there into the world and be the hero of your own story and initiate, you know, challenges head on by striving for what you want to attain because those challenges are going to find you. And if you're just sitting back in your career and you're just kind of like a little bit afraid to move forward, well, guess what? Those challenges are still coming to you, but you're a lot better equipped to find them if you're being proactive and, again, self-actualizing and actually going after the kind of life you want to live. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like you use your intuition or your gut at all in making decisions? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you have to. I think that for me, that's super key. And again, it's because, you know, uh, the human intellect is an incredible, incredible, incredible tool, but it's limited. And, uh, you know, we can only think our way logically out of so much. Mm-hmm. I think at a certain point, you know, I believe in the power of intuition and imagination to deliver solutions that are more sophisticated, frankly, than the intelligent mind is capable of producing. And only when we follow our intuition and, you know, follow the sophistication of the heart, you know, the emotional intelligence that we're all born with. And we follow that and we see it through because it feels right. And it feels like the direction our lives are supposed to go. And then we look back, you know, whether it's one day later, one week later, one year later, and we can see how it worked together in a way we couldn't have even foreseen. So I definitely believe in the power of intuition as kind of a guiding force. And of course, you need the intellect to kind of do the do the steering along the way and make sure you're not doing anything too rash, you know, too rash or too drastically. But I do believe that the intuition and the heart should be really the the compass by which we live our lives. Have you ever struggled with distinguishing between intuition and, and ego? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, I, at first when you start out, you know, trying to follow your, your intuition, it may be difficult to know what your intuition even is or how do I even follow it. 
So I think it's important, you know, before just, you know, making drastic life changes Mm -hmm. to really get in touch with your, you know, emotional self. And for me, you know, I can't recommend meditation enough because, you know, the more you can meditate and become comfortable with your not only with your thoughts, but also your subconscious. And you can kind of observe your thinking mind and see what your thoughts are saying versus, you know, what my heart might be feeling. The more you can kind of just slow down and pay attention to your life, pay attention to your mind and pay attention to your breath. I think then it becomes a lot more, you know, intuitive, so to speak. And it's based on, you know, how you're feeling and what you're drawn toward that won't go away. That nagging sense of, you know, purpose and desire that feels like it's just you can't live without it. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So if you don't mind my asking, what is like your meditation and mindfulness routine, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm not a big, I wouldn't consider myself very big in specific religions, but I do believe in in ritual and practice. So one thing that I think that's really cool about American culture, whether it's, you know, cuisine, music, movies, is that we're able to kind of remix all this kind of stuff from around the world. We take influences, we mix them together and create something that's new. So, you know, I think that a lot of people are doing that type of approach for mindfulness and meditation and spiritual practices. So, you know, I believe in kind of trying out different different things, different techniques that you can pick up wherever you feel called and trying to incorporate them into your life. So for me, you know, Zen meditation is is pretty key. A basic Zen meditation is pretty much as classic as you can get. It's sitting in quiet mindfulness, you know, whether your eyes are closed or open, you know, choosing a comfortable hand position and just following the breath, you know, literally just sitting there for 10 to 20 minutes, paying attention to every inhale and every exhale and every inhale and every exhale. And that sounds simple, but it is the most effective stress reliever that I've ever found. Mm. In addition to that, I'm big on yoga and in particular Kundalini yoga, which is uh, a yoga that's um, it's called the, the yoga of awareness. So there are a lot of different meditations and breath works as part of Kundalini yoga, which, you know, in terms of activating your intuition and becoming kind of conscious of the thinking mind. For me, you know, those two things have been more effective than anything else I've tried. Wow. That's so awesome. Well, you know, going back to the book, you know, in the book, what James is doing in your ego says is you kind of get to witness this conversation where it's (laughs) James, the narrator, listening to his ego battle it out with his higher self. So I have a couple of questions here and and it is, it's it's a fantastic read. Great concept too, on how to just create these distinctions of the different thoughts and, and the different messages that are all coming from within. So first, if you could kind of like, I know you've already started to do this, but like if you could summarize in like one to two sentences overall, what is our ego saying? Yeah, you know, the ego is basically, uh, one way to describe it would be, it is the voice that tries to imply that we are a victim of of circumstances. Mm. 
you know, whatever is happening in our life, we have, you know, we have nothing to do with it. We're victims of what's happening around us. And we're always reacting to the circumstances that happen. And, you know, we're just can't do anything about it. I want to I want to go deeper with this because I love that. And I think that's so true. However, I've seen people were like, you know, because I coach a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs and and friends. Sometimes, they, you know, it's unsolicited coaching. Um, but you'll see where they're stepping into that victim role. And if you were to tell them, like, stop being a victim, they're going to deny it. They're going to be <laughs> they're going to get really upset. So I feel like it's something where and in the moment, you know, there's not really an acknowledgement of victimhood. I don't know if you agree with that, but how does that then show up for someone? Like, in other words, if they're being a victim to circumstances, what does that look like for the individual in the moment? Like, how would they know? What are good indicators that, hey, maybe the ego has taken over here? Mm-hmm. You're nodding. Mm-hmm. You're being reactive, not proactive. Yeah. You know, one indicator that I've seen time and again is blame. Yeah. You know, when, when you ask someone, you know, how they're doing, you know, we're, I mean, obviously we're all facing, you know, struggles. Myself included, yourself included, you know, struggle is a universal truth no matter w- what stage you are in your life. But I'm curious about, you know, when you're talking about the struggles you're facing, you know, where, if anywhere, are you putting blame? Because... If someone is, you know, blaming, you know, my job, my boss, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my family, and pointing their finger and saying, they're the reason that I'm not happy. They're the reason why I can't succeed. They're the reason why I don't have what I want to have. For me, you know, that's the ego in action is pointing your finger and saying, you know, it's your fault, not mine, that, you know, I'm facing these struggles. What do you say to someone that, cause I, I totally get that. And I think we all do that even as self-actualized as we try sure. to become. Sure. Uh, but like in your, you, you know, you got your great example in the book where you, you know, had this pivotal change in your life. And I, I told you before the call that I was actually in New York at the same time as the mm. hurricane came sweeping by, you know, if you were to play the victim and at that time in your life, you know, you would blame Sandy, right? <laughs> You'd say this yeah. hurricane took everything that I had. And if I were, if either future James, you know, were to come to you and be like, look, you know, that's just your ego. You're being reactive. You know, someone, maybe you at the time would have been like, but the hurricane still did that. Like, it's still a fact that the hurricane did this. So how do you, how do you end that cycle of blame? How do you get someone or yourself out of that? Yeah. And, and, you know, I blamed the hurricane, but more specifically, I blamed myself Mm. because I thought I was stupid to have taken a a risk and a leap of faith and moved to New York city prior to having a job, prior to having an apartment and leaving everything behind only then to have everything washed away. So I, I blamed myself and it was like, you know, you're an idiot. Why would you have done that? You ruined your life and now you're homeless. Like congratulations, James. Well, this is huge Um, because this is blowing my (laughs) my mind here. Cause, cause like it's one thing to understand the concept of blame and it's very easy to like, well, yeah, if I blame others, I, you know, I'm I'm in the right and they're in the wrong. But you're talking yeah. about how you can also be blaming yourself and then that's part of the ego. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Self-blame, self-deprecation. We can definitely turn our abuse inward and, you know, say, you know, I'm a up, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough. And that, and that happens all the time. And that happens to me all the time as well. So that's part of the ego as well is, is blaming yourself when in truth. And then to answer your original question, you know, yes, the hurricane was responsible, but you know, I really think that it's about changing your perspective to understanding that we're all on a life path. Mm. You know, I don't think that I don't personally believe that the events and circumstances that unfold in our life are random and that don't have some fundamental purpose behind them. You know, not everyone believes that. And that's not something that I can offer proof for. But I've seen it time and time again in my own life where I'm stuck in a situation that seems hopeless, that seems like it's the worst thing that could happen. And from that circumstance, there's something that is transformative. So when you look back, you know, while I was busy blaming and pointing my finger, you know, there was transformation taking place. Mm. And that's why I talk about, you know, trusting the moment, you know, trusting the struggle, you know, going through whatever it is you're going through. The only way out of anything is straight through it. So I believe that our struggles, instead of blaming them, can be a catalyst for change when we allow them to be. Okay. So this is blowing my mind here. So, you know, in times where I've found, you know, and, and I love what you're saying, you know, it's a, the breakthrough is right after the breakdown. But talking to, like, just going back to this, to the blame versus you know, responsibility. I feel like in, in my life, anytime I'm in a breakdown, I'm already looking, I think I've gotten to a a self-awareness level or a mindfulness level where I've looked for where is my responsibility in this? I don't want to be the victim. I've trained myself to do my best to not be the victim. So like, where's my role in this and taking that responsibility, but that's not necessarily even a necessity because that could quickly even turn into self-blame. I think it can. I think that a lot of people, I I do think that's a common mistake is, you know, trying to do the right thing and saying, you know, look for blame in oneself as opposed to somewhere else. And and maybe that's better than, you know, inflicting harm on others is is inflicting harm onto yourself. But you're still inflicting harm. And, you know, the self, you know, we should be loving ourselves and, 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 you know, living with self-care and self-love as opposed to, you know, looking for ways to beat ourselves down. So that's why, you know, I rather think in terms of, you know, trusting the process, you know, you're going to face pain, you're going to face struggle, there's going to be challenges and it's no one's fault. You know, it's all, we're all just here in a learning experience together. And, uh, you know, no matter you know, sometimes we have to let go of the whys and, you know, why am I here? Why is this happening to me? And just look forward and say, you know, what's the way out? Forget why this is the way it is. Let's just work on a solution. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to be more productive and make everyone happier in the long run is just, you know, trusting what's happening and not worry too much about how we got to this point. Yeah, man, that's so good, James. So the ego sitting there saying, hey, you're a, you know, you're a victim. And then there's this other, I don't know what you want to call it, another side of you, another piece of you that mm-hmm. you call your higher self mm-hmm. that has something different to say. Can you speak a little bit to that? What is the higher self and what is its message for us? Right. Yeah. You know, I, 
I landed on the term higher self, you know, what that means, you know, you can interpret that a lot of ways, you know, you can interpret it to be, you know, higher power, a higher intelligence. If you want to believe in God, you know, that's a way to look at it as well. But for me, it goes back to the idea of intuition. And I know that, you know, when you when you quiet the ego and you quiet the mind, that's when, you know, the path forward will reveal itself. Mm. So I do believe that, you know, all answers that we need come from within and, you know, where they come from, you know, I don't know, you know, where does creativity come from? Where does imagination come from? Where does intuition come from? You know, I haven't the foggiest idea, you know, Mm -hmm. those concepts are so deep and mysterious, but I think that, you know, we can recognize that they're there. You know, when you have an idea pop into your head, it's coming from somewhere. So for me, I've kind of labeled that for the sake of discussion purposes as the higher self. So the higher self is really the, it's the, it's the wise elder that, you know, when we peel away all of the kind of social conditioning and fears and insecurities, that's the intuition that's kind of sitting there waiting for us to listen to it. You know, it's funny too, because as I hear you saying this, it's like what it's saying to you is probably the same thing you would say if you got to go back in time to like when you got picked on or bullied at school, you know, and you're having a bad day. And it's like what you would say to that young James, it's probably the same type of thing that your higher self would say as well. Yeah, it's really it's really the um, when you can remove yourself from a situation and see it from an outside perspective, it's kind of that clarity. Right. So I I think I think it's that's a good point. It's really it's a cool exercise to look back on yourself, let's say, in high school and say, you know, if you could give yourself one piece of advice to your high school self, what would you say? And then that's going to be damn good advice. And, And, you know, it's it's going to be something like, you know, relax, you know, take life less seriously, go with the flow, you know, trust the path that you're on. You know, these are all things that I would have told myself. And if you apply that to your current situation, yeah, that's going to be great advice. Yeah. Or we could have the James from 20 years from now comes back in time today to give you some advice right now. Yeah. And we might have time machines in 20 years. So that might be possible. That just might... (laughs) That might happen. (laughs) I love that. I love that. So if the ego is saying you're a victim, how does the higher self counter that argument? Yeah, it's really the idea of I create my own reality. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people roll their eyes at that statement because, you know, we live in a in a whole world that, you know, we're really we're co-creating reality. Yeah. But I'm certainly a participant. And, you know, and just knowing that there is you know, there is purpose in what you're going through. Do you, and do you, I yeah. want to cut you off. Cause I, I love this. Like you create your own reality and yes, yeah. if, if I create my reality and you're creating yours and well, we're, you know, doing a podcast together, those are going to bump into yeah. each other. Right. But do you have an example? Do you have a specific moment in your life where you see the real proof and evidence, the fruition of that concept because it is still really hard for a lot of people to swallow. You know, obviously it means they have to take responsibility for a lot of things in their life. But do you have like a moment for you that you were like, wow, that definitely, I'm never going to doubt that again. Yeah. I mean, I think it's simpler than people make it out to be. I think it has to just do with an attitude switch. You know, creating your reality is just about 
realizing that, you know, there's no prerequisites for being happy. Mm. You know, I think that if you're looking at yourself as a victim of circumstance, you're looking at, I need to have X, Y, and Z to be met in order for my attitude to switch to a place of contentment and happiness. But creating your, your own reality is about realizing that, you know, things like happiness and peace of mind and inner peace, you know, these are available to us independent of circumstances. You know, we don't need to, you know, wait for all these things in our lives to kind of be exactly how we want them in order to get ourselves into a place in a state of mind that is desirable. And that's kind of the trick, right? Is that when you make that shift inside, you start to see those changes happen outside. So if I'm, you know, going for a promotion and I tell myself that I can't be happy without it, then I'm always going to be climbing uphill and struggling. But if I say, you know what, I'm going to choose to, you know, be content with where I am and be happy regardless, I'm putting myself in a position to, you know, ironically, you know, reach the goals I want to reach because I'm, I'm living in flow with my surroundings. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm acting from a place of security and contentment and your attitude shows, man, like your attitude, you know, impacts how you live and how others view you. So it's just a matter of making that shift internally in your attitude adjustment and then watching the, you know, the world around you transform in response to what you're bringing to the table. I love it. You have a, one of the quotes in your book, one of the passages is reality is a flower and thoughts are the seed. The thoughts we plant influence the reality that grows. So good. There you go. Yeah. So good, man. Okay. Before we wrap it up today, and again, thank you so much for your time. This has been fantastic. I know I wanted to just jump into something really quick, something I feel like you've been itching to get into, something I think I have a feeling you're you're really good at. And it's it's how we tie this whole conversation of detaching from the ego, or at least creating the awareness and distinction of what is ego versus our higher self, so we can step into a place of being self-actualized. But where it looks like you thrive a lot in is how we use that to channel creativity. You know, a lot of my listeners are very creative entrepreneurs. I like to consider myself rather creative. What are your thoughts, opinions on that, on creativity? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, for me, that's been a driving, you know, (laughs) force in my life since I was young. You know, I, I like to think that I've relied on creativity as my weapon of choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, in terms of creativity, I would just reiterate what I said before is that, you know, we all have the innate capacity for creativity and, you know, there's a process for it. And I have a chapter in my book actually about, about creativity and about this belief that someone, you know, is not creative. And I've actually outlined, you know, a nine step methodology that can be replicated because, you know, I've worked in creative, you know, marketing, you know, advertising firms for a long time. And the thing when you're kind of forced to be creative for a living is that you start to pick up, you crack the code and you pick up a methodology for how to make it happen. So I do think that, you know, I don't believe in kind of sitting around and waiting for creativity to to strike or for inspiration to strike. I think that inspiration and creativity They've got to catch you working. There's a great quote by the artist Chuck Close that I like quite a bit. 
where he said, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. <laughs> I, I, I actually wrote that in my notes from reading it in your book because you shared it in the book. And I just I loved it. I love there it. You go. So there good. you go. It's so good. James, look at this has been fantastic. Guys, again, follow James and his I love his quotes and, and everything he's sharing on Instagram. Search for him. Your ego says on Instagram. It's James McRae. His book is out on Amazon. We'll link all of this up in the show notes. Your ego says it's a fantastic read. Great conversation between this distinction between the ego reactive attached side of our mind and the higher self, the part of you that knows that your success is inevitable and the war that they wage on each other daily (laughs) um, with you in the middle. So fantastic book. Listen, any final thoughts, anything that you want to share in order to call this episode complete for our listeners? No, not really. I mean, thank you, James, so much. You know, this has been great being on your show. And I guess, you know, the parting words I will leave to your audience is trust yourself. Mm, I love it. James McRae, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode. Take care. For 10 years now, I've made my living selling digital courses, membership subscriptions, and group coaching. I've been able to make millions of dollars. Yet even better, I've been able to help thousands upon thousands of students with my training. Yet I've never taught my system on how to actually get started. How to choose the right niche, the right product, the right tools, and the right plan. Until now. The information marketing industry is booming now more than ever. And if you've been sitting on the sidelines waiting to get in, now is your time. For the next eight weeks, I'm going to be delivering a brand new training course live showing exactly how to get started and get profitable, even if you have no list, no product, or no idea. And the best part is it's 100% free. All you have to do is request an invite to my private Facebook group. Every week, I'll broadcast a live, in-depth training with homework, action items, and of course, Q&A. So to request access to my private group now and join the training absolutely free, simply visit www.jameswedmore.com forward slash free. That's www.jameswedmore.com forward slash free. And I'll see you there.